0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network
1: oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist Hello, so we're back after a week off last week and ready to dive in to fantasy football once more. The sands are shifting and the hot fuss as managers come and go from the Premier League, which hopefully will lead to a transformative effect on an FPL template, which has grown a little bit stale. Speaking of transformational, yes, I've now moved out of the kitchen into the living room. Uh, so you, you get an exciting uh, white wall backdrop for those who are watching on YouTube. Um, we have got a new microphone as well, so hopefully I sound a bit better. Um, but anyway, we are. Who got the assists? You can find me on Twitter. I'm Tom at WGTA underscore FPL. My usual co host is Anthony at FPL Stag. The lead code is 2IP43T. But there's no Anthony this week. Sadly, he can't make it as he's feeling a bit under the weather. But I'm very pleased to welcome Nick back to the pod. Uh, we've pod together for many years. For those who don't know, I'm sure you all know. Um, it'll be a bit old school, won't it, this week, Nick? Uh, you're all right, mate. And what's on the pod this week?
0: Hey, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm back for for old listeners. Um, Hope you haven't all missed me too much. Um, And for the new listeners, I'm a former co-host of the pod. Sent you on a little bit of a sabbatical right now, uh, just from podding and and Twitter and everything like that. uh, Whilst I focus on family life. So bear with me a little bit, um, a little bit rusty right now. Um, obviously a last minute change here and and I'm not podded for a while so excuse a few various it's toughisms throughout the pod <laughs> um, so yeah the agenda rundown for this week it's all going to be about the new manager bounces uh, what do we make of them in terms of the uh, the players coming into the fore for those clubs and uh, how should we think of these players when these meta destroying things come into play uh, plus we've always got the usual market forces, uh, listener questions and, and correspondence on the mid priced midfielders as well but as always, we'll start with the game week reviews.
1: Yeah, yeah, it feels like a while ago now, doesn't it? Uh, an age ago uh, when the uh, game week—what uh, game week even was it? Wow, game week eleven occurred. And and first up, it's Anthony. No wonder he's choking on his alibis. Just the fifty-one this week, unfortunately. Anthony did message him from his sick bed and said he got fifty-one points last game week. He got a kind of one percentish negligible green arrow, but he said it was a really annoying one, um, just because you know the cost of Saka over ESR um, is hurting him. But he doesn't have trends either. And he, he's spoken about that for, for the last few weeks that you know, that's been his priority transfer and he's not kind of quite managed to get there yet. He's got 4.1 million in the bank. He did Mane to Son. So he's got loads of money swimming around. So I'm assuming he'll come back in. In fact, I, I, I've got a message from him for like the transfers to captains later on, so we'll know later. Um, but basically, buying in Son for Mane didn't really pay off this week. And you know the lack of Trent um, effectively did mess him up. So, Sanchez in goal, who I know you had Nick as well with the minus one and the uh, and the red card. Um, Cancello, Rudiger and uh, Livermento at the back. Cancello and Livermento uh, getting returns there. Uh, ben White, first bench with the eight-pointer, which would have been very useful, but unfortunately he didn't get him. Uh, Saka, Son with blanks in the midfield, Salah and Rafinha with uh, with the returns, but nothing really happens. And up front, um, all going pair shapes, um, as it is for basically everyone's forwards, with Antonio, Tony and Jesus uh, all blanking. Uh, so yeah, just the 51 for Anthony last week. And he kind of stays around the 650k sort of mark. So obviously not where he wants to be, um, but there you go. Uh, next up, uh, Nick this week, 66 points. You got,
0: yeah, 66 points. I'm pretty happy with that. I think it's just a little bit of a dustland fairy tale, ultimately, because um, you know, I'm still kind of picking up from the wreckage of that previous game week where I, I captained Vardy over Salo against United and just sent my rank crushing, crushing down. So I'm sort of in a bit of a recovery stage at the moment. But 66 points gets me back to around 369k, sort of heading slowly back into respectability, I, I guess. but um yeah, I mean, in terms of this game, week, the villain was Sanchez in goal with a minus one um, but, and also the front line. I did get on Harry Kane early. Obviously, everyone's going to be getting him in now, potentially, with the fixtures and his England performances. But I got on him early, trying to get some points against Everton, obviously, blanked. And, and Ivan Tony blanked as well with just one pointer up front. Um, Rafinha, I guess, was the start of the midfield with nine. Uh, but ultimately, the success came from opting for a five at the back strategy for this particular week. So I backed my defenders. And yeah, um, Cancelo got me 14, Trent's 12, Liveramento 6, Ben White got eight. And unfortunately, the only one that blanked was Ben Chilwell with the two-pointer. Um, unfortunately, going for him over Reese James a couple of weeks ago is not really working out for me But so far. But yeah, otherwise, I'm I'm pretty happy with this game week.
1: Yeah, more than decent, I think, uh, um, you know, five at the back. I was thinking, oh, he must have got an auto sub there. Uh, but no, I remember you saying in the Slack as well, I've definitely, I've, I've purposely gone five at the back this week. It's just so rare you see it, isn't it? We've got some questions about this later on, actually. But it's so rare you see it, isn't it, having that five at the back sort of structure. looks a bit weird, kind of looking like kind of the, the arrow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see it pay off uh, to some extent uh, this week. As you said, unlucky about Chilwell. Um I did pretty well uh, last week. I got 74 points, so the damage from Kygate is mostly repaired. I'm back up to 350k or so. I started on the back foot, though. Um, I mean, it was a long time ago now, but I mean, I don't have Livramento, and everybody was apparently winning FPL with that clean sheet who did own him last uh, Friday, two weeks ago, and non-owners were apparently losing FPL for not owning him. Uh, that was a turning point. That was a lonely night, but the next day, things improved. Um, so I sold Pilaquetta for James. which worked out great as SP didn't play points across the board basically um, except up front uh, same as everybody. Uh, so, Guaitar, he's zero to hero. Back to back clean sheets, uh, beat out uh, Rob Sanchez, obviously, for the next consecutive week. And obviously, Sanchez owners are probably now casting eyes at Guaitar, thinking, yeah, you know, time to get on that Crystal Palace bandwagon. I know I've changed my tune, but it's fine to do that in this day and age, isn't it? I mean, look at the government. Anyway, um, at the back, the Jack backline of James, Trent, and Cancello, um 7 points, 12 points, and 14 points. Contributed 29 points uh, for me this game week, which is obviously epic. Uh, unfortunately, Christensen, um, I had him, uh, your, your kind of Chilwell uh, comparator. He should have scored, really should have scored. And Burnley, one shot, one goal. You can only laugh at that, really. In midfield... Um, Kai Havertz uh, finally did a goal um, and Rafinha's goal as well from a, I think it was a it was a free kick, wasn't it? it went all the way through, um, supplemented the Salah assist uh, for the Trent um, free kick. Uh, blank for Embuemo versus Norwich, but disappointing. That was probably the, the one big game I had him in for. Yeah, not far off, um, obviously that goal was ruled out. Mvardi versus Leeds also had an assist wiped off, but he and Antonio up front did absolutely bugger all for me. So yeah, 74 points. Pretty happy with that. Um, it takes me up to 350K. It'll be interesting to see where I go from here and how I can screw it up from here, more importantly. All right uh, Objectives very, very quickly. Um, Anthony's not here, so we'll leave his for the time being. Mine, obviously, the captain, the Algo, who was Salah. Um, transfers, 50, 50 situation, take a hit. Didn't take a hit this week. Um, but the third one, take a chance on form. Um, buy in, bandwagoning players wherever possible. So, I mean, there was a lot of people saying, you know, leave Pellicueta in, he's definitely going to play. Um, you know, Reese James, you, you don't know who, if he's going to play or not. Um, but the midweek game in the Champions League, I seem to remember that James didn't play. So I thought, you know what? It's worth doing here. Why not? Um, so I kind of thought, yeah, it's, it's time to go with James. Let's get that sorted out. And um, did it. So I think I've, I can give myself a big tick there in terms of the objectives this week. I mean, Nick, last time you kind of mentioned a few objectives about how you're kind of facing this season. I mean, how is it going in terms of overall sort of progress? Do you think? I know you're, you're normally quite a long way ahead of me at this point. So uh, maybe it's uh, not doing as well as it could have done.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's not doing. <laughs> it's not going particularly well, to be honest. I think. I did actually have a quick look because I think I came up with some objectives actually when I came on the pod. I think it was game week one or two or something like that right at the start of the season. I thought, well, I'll come up with some. Um, And, yeah, didn't really look at them again, unfortunately, after that. And um, recapping my objectives (laughs) this game week, obviously, coming on the pod, I was like, I'll see what I said. And, um, yeah, I think I've definitely failed on, um, on two of the three just really ultimately because of that Vardy-Salah decision which completely screwed me so one of my objectives was to listen to other people and the masses more and try not to be too clever well guess what I was <laughs> I was definitely trying to be too clever with that captain pick so that was a fail um the second one I guess I'm sort of passing which is if there's momentum behind the pick try and catch that momentum in its first wave whilst there's still a differential and I, I think generally I've succeeding with that, you know, a little bit. i not necessarily got some good examples of that, um, but I've tried to jump on a few momentum wagons like Foden and, and now Harry Kane and see how that works out in the next few game weeks, I guess. Um, and then the other one was just on the captaincy. It'll be similar, playing it safe, trusting the big hitters, and again, trying not to be cl- too clever. Calculated gambles are good, but certainly we saw it this week that the mainstream picks all bossed it and the template is a template for a reason. So that's what I said in game week one. Um, obviously, I didn't follow that because I didn't captain Salah. So, again, big mistake. If I just stuck it on Salah and basically had it on him, since game week one, I'd be in the top 100K right now. So, you know, a bit of a blow, really, but never mind.
1: Yeah, that United game continues to haunt me as well. But it's a case of, are we human or are we managers? And sometimes I think that kind of side comes in where you just can't help but uh, take the punt or just veer away from what you think is best. That's what these objectives are all for, I guess. It's just that week kind with of, uh, Kai it's kind of led me astray because Mikel's captain, Cialgo, did say to, to captain Havertz. But, you know, there we go. We live and we learn. Um, let's move on to the Mini League update very, very quickly. Just say there is a new leader. It is Graham Murray uh, with word of Bar- Barman. 97 points this week. Uh, he bench boosted. Uh, he had Cancello, Foster and Livramento points off his bench. So, yeah, very, very nice. So, uh, Graham uh, opens up a 11-point lead at the top of mini league, which is very cool indeed. Um, in second, um, all the way up from fifth, it's Arafa Muhammad Arafa with a sweet 69 this week. In third, up from eighth, it's uh, Sean Dunlop with Chaos Ball for a 73. He and Richard Carswell, uh of 11, um, who got 65 this week, are joint third. In fifth, down from second, is Omar Crutchley uh, with Turk Turkleton United. The Sensei, uh, a bit of guy love for you there. Uh, Omar, uh, 63 points this week uh, in fifth. Um, he's joined in fifth actually by Andreas Razor, and Palawan Masadipan, uh, 72 points for him. In seventh. All the way up from 82nd, wow, It's Tom Glover, who bench boosted as well, as well this week, uh, did that sort of thing. Captain Son, unfortunately, didn't quite work out for him, but he still managed 92, got away with it a little bit with Sellers um, just getting the assist there. Um, 804 points, up to 7th, all the way up from 82nd, that's Tom. Um, in 8th down 1, uh, Robert Bob, who's been near the top, for the majority of the season champions the united 68 points um moved antonio out for tony there uh, in ninth up from 20th miradul pandy with vengeable at 75 points and finally uh, in 10th is teja adavi the sinking dutchman up from 75th to 10th with a massive 88 points this game week uh, moved out raya for ramsdale as well so got instant returns there very well done everybody right let's move on finally for the section to the market for i mean still obviously we're in the middle of the game week um or the international break but there are a few players who are moving around aren't they nick
0: yeah definitely um the, the most transferred in player actually is um is Conor gallagher so you know everything's um everything's coming up gallagher right now isn't it with um his england debut um he, i think i don't think he scored we started podding near the end of the match but he had a couple of good chances in that game as well and uh in terms of FPL, he, he's been absolutely smashing it recently. Four goals now and four assists. That takes him now to the um, to being the second highest scoring midfielder in the game with uh, with sixty two points. Though unbelievably, he's still fifty five behind Mo Salah in first, which just is just phenomenal what a season Mo Salah's having. But yeah, besides the point, Gallagher uh, sort of only five point eight. He's a he's a cut price asset in that midfield, and uh, Crystal Palace now um, have a decent run of fixtures as well with sort of Burnley, Aston Villa leads up next as well. So it kind of makes sense. A lot of people buying him in. Yeah. Otherwise, sort of in terms of the transfers in, you know, it's all about the defenders. Uh, Reese James, uh, Cancelo, second and third, uh, most transferred in players right now. 260,000 transfers in for Reese James right now. And uh, Cancelo's on 225,000 uh, transfers in. Cancelo obviously got that 14-pointer against Manchester United. He seems to be the the Manchester City defender to, to own, picking up a double assist in the league. And also he got a hat-trick of assists in the in the Champions League. So doing really well in terms of creative and attacking output, as well as defensive clean sheets. And um, and Rhys James, I mean, what else is there to say? He got a brace against Newcastle. Um, he got a goal against Norwich as well in 7-0. And uh, got an assist against Burnley, even though they um, lost a clean sheet. He still picked up a couple of bonus. Um, yeah. So he got seven points in that game as well so yeah reese james owners all laughing all the way to the bank right now
1: yeah yeah i hope so soon and um, it's interesting in the, in the defense actually because i was looking at players who've been sold and second for sales is alonzo One hundred and thirty-six thousand people have finally given up the ghost on the it seems a bit weird it feels like people have kind of had him in their team for ages or just looked at fpl again like I don't understand how after yep. five blanks, you've suddenly decided, yeah, it's time to get rid of this guy now. <laughs> I'm going to get him, Rhys The same is probably true of uh, Luke Shaw as well. who has been sold by 67,000 managers thus far. That's the third most sold defender, by the way. And you've got to be thinking, hang on a minute. Like, has someone just gone, how's your FPL? Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, Alonso. Oh, he's, he's crot. Oh, so I'll get someone else in. Very strange behaviour. That I mean, you've got you no know, Sanchez, which I can understand, most sold player, 171k or so. Danny Ings, third most sold player. Like, who sat there with Ings in it's their bit, team? It's a bit weird,
0: isn't it? I was looking at it, I was like, what's happened to the market forces? This has been this odd all season. Yeah, seeing Danny Ings hasn't played the last couple of games, but only had one goal in about eight games or something before that. I was like, where are all these Danny Ings owners coming from? And also also, what surprised me a little bit actually was um, Antonio appearing in the top five most transferred in players. I was like, where, where's this Antonio love um, coming from all of a sudden? Because I'd have kind of thought that everyone kind of owns him already to a certain extent. And if, if you own, if you don't own him, why are you bringing him in now after sort of one one goal it. in five games? It's like... It's like the Ivan Tony, um, you know, people buying in Ivan Tony all season despite not scoring at all. He still seems to attract new owners. It's it's a bit weird. And, it's, um, and Tony obviously smashed it right at the start of the season. It was absolutely brilliant for the first month of the season. But just one goal in five games. Um, it seems a bit odd that he's he's now attracting owners
1: again. Very weird. It, it it almost seems like you know a group of bots has just gone. Oh, I have Danny Ings. Need to sell. Ah, oh, who is scoring highly? Mikel Antonio, I will buy. Like, it, it It doesn't make any... Like, normally the market force at least reflects the past game week's outcomes. And yeah, Gallagher, James, Cancelo, Smith-Rowe, that kind of does do it, as does different So, McCarthy, the most bought-in uh, Sanchez replacement, BC Dubs. And, but yeah, Antonio makes absolutely no sense i don't know why he's figuring in the top five and it literally must be a case of people who are selling ings just thinking oh yeah who am i going to replace him with who scored the highest oh, this antonio Feller, because the forwards have been so rubbish that they're going to have to be buying in whoever's top of the list don't care about form it's just whoever scored the most points very very bizarre right let's take a break there and move on to the main topic just after this who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's on to the main topic this week which is about new manager bounces. Now there have been four managers new in their jobs in the last four weeks. Serious madness. I mean, last season was a bit of an anomaly. Only four managers lost their jobs throughout the entire season. Uh, Mourinho, Chris Wilder, Frank Lampard and Slavin Bilic. Uh, But it seems like the pandemic excuse or whatever, which kept managers relatively stable in their jobs last season. No longer washes, basically. But yeah, there's been four appointments since the start of November. Antonio Conte, uh, Eddie Howe, Stephen Gerrard and Dean Smith, uh, so Nuno was sacked by Spurs on the 1st of November, Conte was appointed swiftly on the 2nd, uh, Steve Bruce was sacked on the 20th of October actually, Eddie Howe was appointed a week ago on the 8th of November formally. Uh, Dean Smith was sacked on the 7th of November and uh, Stephen Gerrard appointed just four days ago. And finally, Daniel Farke uh, or Farker, uh, I think he's actually known as, was sacked on the 6th of November and replaced by the aforementioned Dean Smith today on the 15th of November. So Norwich have an owner called D Smith and a manager called D Smith. And a fun fact, Dean Smith has only been out of work a total of eight days in the last 10 years. Wow, a man in demand. But anyway, I think there's a lot to talk about here. As the question it raises simply, obviously, is what do we make of new manager balances in FPL? There seems to be kind of a couple of schools of thought about kind of this potentially template shifting crop of managers. One school is caution. Somebody told me that we should just kind of be cautious. You know, we don't know about the new manager impact. We should wait and see first. Whereas the other school, you know, somebody there would tell me that, you know, jump on it. Citing examples like Pogba when Ollie came in, or Delhi when Mourinho did at Spurs, which we'll speak about in just a minute. Um, but before we go into those sort of kind of past examples, Nick, I mean, with new manager bounces or new managers coming in, there's always this question of caution and risk, isn't there? I mean, you're famously in the past been quite a cautious manager. Where do you stand on all this sort of thinking about new managers coming into the Premier League?
0: Yeah, so I, th- I think a new manager obviously is is a good thing. Ultimately, I think we we do see when when a new manager comes in, they're sort of out with the old. There's a sort of a broad level of excitement. You you see it on Twitter. Typically, everyone's talking about the players at that. Team and who who's going to come back into life? Who's going to spark the attention again? And you know, very people like Teddy Ali and people like that sort of get mentioned, which, which we'll cover a little bit later. But you know, I think I think it's a good thing. You know, we, people we talk about sort of toxicity are going to be instantly cleared from the clubs. um New regimes bringing out the best of all those players, and invariably, will we'll go to pot again, sort of six months later. But I think I think ultimately, you know the concept of the new manager bounce is is a valid concept and I think I think there is an argument behind it obviously as well you have to think about tactics Mm. changes personnel changes you know when Tuchel took over at Chelsea we didn't know who the hell was going to be nailed like you know brought up a lot of question marks in terms of who his best team was and we'll probably see that a little bit at some of these clubs as well Um, but yeah definitely I think it's a good thing
1: Yeah, for sure. It's definitely interesting to see what happens. I think it does reinvigorate certain individuals. I think it also highlights... This idea of kind of forecasting in FPL. Um, there's something called future projection bias, which we spoke about on the psychology kind of summer special podcast, which is where we find it hard to imagine what we'll feel like in the future, as we can only feel like what we feel now. And there's also recency bias as well, which you'll all be aware of. Those two things, I think, can combine to make us reticent to forecast and take what I think can be a bit of a cautious approach at times. And I guess what made me think of that is people who are still unsure of, say, Kane. And justify that by citing numbers from this past year, which are admittedly kind of bad, but downplaying the notion that a new manager could come in and transform things. I mean, subjective, of course, but I suspect that new Conte, if he was appointed in the summer would have headed off any sort of those sort of rumblings that we saw and we'll come on to that in just a second we speak about kane but i mean should we forecast in general more positively when we think about new managers you said just there, you know, new manager bounces a thing like i'm inclined to think that we should give them tabula rasa clean slate and think everything will be all right when it comes to these new guys coming in i mean stuff like talisman theory kind of remains but a lot of the data which is produced in the ex-manager system feels like it should just be left on the shelf really doesn't it i mean are there any lessons from the past that come to mind? I mean, you mentioned a couple just then.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think these these managers, you kind of have to pick up from the bones of the old regime, don't they? To a certain extent. So, obviously, you know, using the example of Conte and, and Nuno, because it's, it's cl- a little bit closer to my heart. Um, what happened with Nuno at Spurs? Um, you know, maybe because I've said there should have been a, a little bit of a new manager bounce when he, he first took over at the start of the season. And I guess I guess there was with sort of a, a dogged victory against Manchester City, against the odds and, and a, you know, and a couple other sort of limited 1-0 wins, which kind of painted over a few of the cracks in terms of the performances that were actually being put on the pitch. Because um, surprisingly, actually, over the course of this season, Spurs have um, taken the least shots out of every single Premier League club, which is appalling when you when you consider you know their reputation compared to the likes of Norwich, the likes of Burnley, the likes of Newcastle, to have actually taken less shots than those guys is just um, pretty incredible. But, you know, you've got a got new guy in Conte and he's, he's making changes instantly in terms of the strategy, the the tactics that he deploys, for instance, with the wing-backs playing a, sort of a 3-5-2, which he's quite famous for when um, he took over at Chelsea he obviously turned sort of Marcus Alonso and, and Victor Moses actually into you know phenomenal wing backs um, out of the blue and, and those guys were getting lots of goals lots of assists lots of clean sheets and and you'd like to think that he can sort of turn the likes of um, Emerson and McGeeon into potentially FPL assets uh, when previously they've been very restricted under Nuno in terms of getting forward that sort of thing and, and also just in general in terms of making changes at the club uh, you know, I've read in Football London, for instance, that he's he's gone into the canteen, he's banned pizza, ketchup, brown sauce, fizzy drinks, apparently. So trying to make that sort of impact, um, you know, we'll see how it goes, obviously. But, um, you know, getting rid of that old regime, getting rid of the toxicity, yeah. starting afresh, I think we, we can sort of look, look to the future and say, right, off the back of these changes, off the back of what the managers have done before. We, we can forecast that you know that things are definitely going yeah. to improve, even if it doesn't turn them into, you know,
1: FPO assets immediately. There's there's definitely the potential there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think what's really interesting as well is that kind of as you're speaking about on the club level, through things like banning ketchup, all the way through to making those tactical changes to sweep away what wasn't quite working under Nuno, and also kind of the aura that Conte is going to bring as a proven winner versus Nuno, who you know, was the Wolves manager. Um, with all due respect to Nuno there's no contest in terms of what a player is going to take from Conte the word of Conte is going to be a lot more than the word of Nuno unfortunately and I think you know one small lesson from FPL that I've learned over the past like little while and I've only had a short amount of time to actually research this for this podcast but what one thing that I really like is that FPL is so on point when it comes to new manager bounces because individuals in particular are ones that benefit from the new manager. And I'm going to wheel out a couple of examples here, but these are players who are actually fairly obvious, like in some ways, these players are the ones who aren't performing particularly well under, under the old manager for whatever reason. You can kind of read into men's souls, read into motivation or whatever, but when the new manager comes in, as Nick says, things can really change for some people. I just want to bring up a couple of examples um, Delhi and Kane um, so when the uh, po- poch was still in charge uh, 2019 20, uh, 20 game week 5 to 12 uh, Delhi and Kane over those eight game weeks scored 21 and 34 points each uh, Delhi was averaging 2.6 points per game Kane was averaging 4.25 poch went in the middle of uh, obviously uh, all or nothing and mourinho came in and things really changed remember uh, are you deli ali or deli ali's brother delhi really went on the rampage 51 points he got uh, the next eight game weeks 13 to 20 51 points then 6.3 points per game so 2.6 points per game all the way up to 6.3 points per game got himself onto many an FPL manager's radar uh, Kane a little bit better so 34 points before 45 points um, from 13 to 20 5.6 points per game the real big example though is when Ollie came into United so 2018-19 uh, Mourinho from 10 to 17 Paul Pogba scored just 15 points um, over those eight games 1.8 points per game Marcus Rashford 35 points points per game Mourinho toxic got rid of between 18 and 26 Pogba scored a massive 76 points so he scored 61 points the last latter eight game weeks under Oli than he did in the the prior eight game weeks under Mourinho 9.5 points per game just just crazy and Rashford. And did improve as well. So he actually scored 6.8 points per game 55 versus the 4.3 he scored um, under Mourinho. So a very small lesson, but something that's worth kind of mentioning is a lesson in how select individuals can really profit from a new manager. Of course, it's horses for courses. For every Oli United, there's a Kike Sanchez Flores returning to Watford. Um, But I find it fascinating how, if you get it right, you can get a real differential if we jump on quickly. I think it's actually related to, like, getting in on new signing if they hit the ground running, Nick. I mean, I think in lots of ways, like, I remember, like, people getting in on Bamiyang, Bruno, and Lingard. Getting in on them really early, you profit immensely, don't you? Um, Getting those unique points for everyone clamber aboard.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I'm hoping that that we see that with uh, perhaps... Kane, I think you know those are the examples I thought about as well. With with Pogba um, and um, and Rashford, and obviously Deliadi when Mourinho took over, and also um, if you remember going back a bit further when Conte took over at Chelsea the previous season, um, Aiden Hazard had had run into a lot of criticism from Mourinho again. Uh, toxic atmosphere at the club. Um, either Canero, the physio, <laughs> had been kicked out of the club, and there was all sorts of horrific incidents going on. So Hazard yeah. only got four goals that season, and then the next season, um, after Mourinho got fired, and um, the next season, uh, Conte uh, took over. Um, Hazard got sixteen goals, and, and they won the Premier League that season. So this is another example of a player that well, just wasn't performing under the, <laughs> the previous regime. And and I think you know Son and Kane they did actually, to be fair, they, had, they were excellent again um, under Mourinho, but under Nuno. Especially Kane, just not performing at all, um, you know. And uh, I was played at Everton, but over the England break, he's he's been revitalised. So to speak, although he's played <laughs> yeah. dross, dross opponents, but I think I think we can look at it and say, you know, what this guy has a bit of form again, and uh, hopefully with the fixture shift as well, he can he can bring that into the uh, the Premier League with the new mm-hmm. manager.
1: Cool. I mean, with all this in mind, then let's go ahead and look at the teams with the new manager bounces potentially, and try to analyze what's going on. I mean, as I said earlier, I think we should probably give them a clean slate to some extent. But some data will be used sparingly, There'll be a lot of opinion, I'm afraid. <laughs> but it would be good to get a handle I think on events as they stand, which of these clubs could be dynamite, just needing a new manager to light it up, and which could be simply a bit of a letdown. Uh, we'll focus on the individuals, of course, um, because of my tentative example beforehand, that individual players I think are likeliest to benefit the club benefits as a whole but FPL wise we're looking at those individuals um obviously I think Conte at Spurs is the first one to speak about um and that's four game weeks are particularly nice Leeds uh, at home Burnley away and then Brentford and Norwich both at home very very tempting indeed um I mean Nick's mentioned a lot about Conte already. He's not a defensive manager, is he? Um, and it'd be fascinating to see what happens with him and how he set things up. I mean, there's a lot of parallels between Inter and Spurs' squad, as it seems. Um, and I guess the key men really are obviously... The two talisman. men. Kane, 7.6% owned just at this time of recording, which is Monday 15th November. I'm sure it'll probably be around 10% maybe next week. He hasn't done any goals in the Premier League, so I doubt there'll be a big rush, but there still could be one. And Son, um, who's 19.6% owned um, at 103 almost template. Had a few questions as well to just kind of move things around. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll have seen Benny Blanco just pop up um, as he does in Carpa. I mean, he, as he as he does. Um, and uh, there's a couple of questions here. Uh, so Benny Blanco, um, his question this week was: "You know, Kane, Son, or none? I'd have Ditch Bart Vardy. He said to find either a good move. Plus, if I go to Son, any future move for Ronaldo is made more difficult." and jimmy claret as well um hope the mummy and baby are doing well um her new arrival recently um jimmy asks you know would you say that any premiums except salah are worth their price tags over the next four or five game weeks and does whether you would captain them or not affect your answer um so i think it's interesting just to meditate for now on son and Kane. nick i mean their stats don't make great reading at all son is 20th overall for non-pen xg similar to the likes of. non-pen XGI that is sorry, uh, similar to the likes of four nows and beaten out by the likes of Yuri Telemont and, uh, Ivan Tony. Um, so is the answer obvious it's Kane. he's done a hat-trick against farmers from Albania and San Marino. Well, I mean, he's 29th actually, um, he's below the likes of Rodrigo and ASM in terms of expected goal involvement. I mean, we spoke about these guys in the last pod, X-200 club members. I mean, what do you think about these two? I mean, I, it's all about Kane, right? Surely.
0: Well, I'm actually, I'm actually looking it. I'm looking at the fixtures. I don't know if I'm just feeling a little bit of a uh, hype. But I'm, I'm, I've already got Kane. I'm thinking, is, is there room for one more son in, in my team as well? Because uh, you could, you could feasibly double up. I mean, ultimately, we're looking at the premium options right now, and obviously, everyone owns Salah. But outside of Salah, what other premiums do we have? You know, a few people have Vardy. A lot of people, you know, thinking about ditching Vardy, and I think ditching Vardy for Kane. Um, finding the extra money is is a reasonable move for sure, and it obviously gives you a little bit of flexibility in terms of having a space and the money for the premium sort of forward as well. To to answer Benny's question, but you know, I, I think I think you could feasibly double up. Um, it is a bit of a gamble, but ultimately, it is a game where you want to take some gambles if you want to get to the sort of the top. Um, and yeah, I know Spurs have been pretty poor in the league, so. That is, that is the risk that you're willing to take. But Leeds, Burnley, Brentford, Norwich, if, if it doesn't work out after those four, ditch them both and, and go back to you know the more solid picks, I guess, to at Chelsea or City or whoever, if Lukaku's back fit or, or whatever. Um, so mm. I guess um, if I can't really pick between the two of them either if you're going to go for okay. just one. I think it's really hard to say. I think Son, um, obviously, as a midfielder, I think he has a, a bit of a higher ceiling, actually. Um, Because he gets those extra points for the goals and gets the extra point if they do keep a clean sheet, so I I do really like Son as a pick, and he is cheaper. But um, Kane has um, a lower sort of ownership as well, it's a little bit more of a differential, which gets a little bit more exciting
1: as well. So you know, there's there's pros and cons to
0: to owning either of them at the moment.
1: Oh, can you read my mind, Nick? I think that's kind of where where I'm going to go with this. I mean, it's safe to say, um, as you just said, that you won't find much in the data itself to help you make these decisions, at least over the last sort of, you know, this season. There's lots of subjective information flying around as well. I mean, the feeling with these guys is that there's a lot of team dependency with them, I think. Mostly growing out of the sale of Lukaku a few weeks ago when you got injured before the Norwich game. I mean, our friend, uh, our mutual friend, Bernard knows Maldonado, Matt, pointed this out and... and I'm going to steal it basically and um, that if Lukaku hadn't been sold if Lukaku wasn't injured I doubt there'd be any chat about Kane being this sort of you know niche sort of weird punty pick uh, we know what Kane can do we know that Conte has praised Kane in the past lots of comparisons between Kane and Son Lukaku and Lottaro and Martinez Into I, I won't go in here but fundamentally if we all had Lukaku, still now if he hadn't got injured you know we'd had a, a few points out of him the column inches and the podcast airtime would all be devoted to should we sell lukaku for kane rather than there being a running commentary of whether kane is actually worth it the reality is that both these players are a pump and i think to answer jimmy's question in a world where salah basically an eo vacuum meaning that you know he's the captain leave it there don't do it to yourself, basically. Look for those differentials. And Nick, as Nick said, the low ownership of cane is, is so like, alluring to me. And I don't really see the monetary difference as being as important at the moment if we've only got Salah and maybe cane would be the second kind of uh, premium I mean, um, I can get both with Vardy and Kai Havertz to sell. I'm not seeking to tranquilize the debate, of course, but in answer to Benny Blanco's question, particularly, I'm leaning towards Kane simply because he's an excellent piggy bank, as after the next four, I can seamlessly move him on for Ronaldo, um, if needed, because man United's fixtures from Game of 16 are very, very nice. And fundamentally with Kane, we know which role he's going to play. I also hate all the Fords and um, think form may be engendered by these very nice fixtures. We'll talk about Wilson in just a second. With Son, it's not really as clear what role he will play. It's disingenuous, of course, to say he's droppable. That's not true. Um, And if you're lacking Trent or something, getting him rather than Kane to allow you to get to Trent is obviously a great idea. Uh, But at the moment for me, Kane is on top. But it's just a shimmy and a shake to get me to Son. If that was what I decided to do, so it's quite close between the two of them, that's for sure. Um, elsewhere, uh, Nick, you know you've got the wing backs. I mean, uh, James uh, Lindenator from Planet FPL, very keen on Emerson Royale, and um, very decent XGI at Betis. I think he averaged four point six per season, um, which isn't that bad. He got into the box on the end of a cane cross um, a couple of games ago, and Ben Davis, Nick, a four point four million hero, i can see you opening up your eager eyes hearing bevis's name i mean in your opinion those defenders anyone there of interest to you or is it a case of watch and wait
0: well i guess uh ben ben he was a, a friend of mine in the past but um you know with the shrine and everything but i don't think he's an fpo asset unfortunately anymore even though he seems to be potentially part of that back three is isn't this not worth it um the defenders I think Reguillon I am um, sort of only five is certainly an option um for the next uh, few games but I think with the defenders I think we're just all very content with our defenders aren't we we've all got Trents Cancellos, Reese Jameses, Livermentos we don't we don't need a Spurs defender I, I don't need to make any uh, defensive changes I'm very happy so uh, yeah I'm just going to ignore them for now to be honest and you know, I'm not convinced at um, Spurs' ability to to keep a clean sheet, even though they did against Everton, they still conceded a couple against Atleti, uh, and uh, mm. we still do have Eric Dyer in defence as well. So <laughs> anything can happen.
1: Yeah, I, I think it need, for me, there needs to be a little bit of time to kind of get into a state where i can trust them basically i mean, i'm not averse to the punt at all I, I, I wouldn't have minded giving emerson royale the next four games and seeing how it goes at 4.9 that could be pretty decent especially given you know alonso had his best under season under under conte 168 points uh, a few years ago i mean is that going to happen again we don't know we simply don't know but at 4.9 it's worth the punt and As we've been saying, the the whole thing basically is just a bit of a punt at this stage and I I can get behind it. I really, really can. So yeah, Spurs, I guess it is saying Son, Kane, take your pick depending on your team structure. Um, Don't try to pass off like Team focused, concentric advice as actual advice. If you got, if you can pick, fit him in, fit one in, not fit the other in. Just objectively weigh up the merits of both. Um, but it just seems like there's no kind of stats answer at the moment. It's just about how it will progress forward. Next one, Eddie Howe. How at Newcastle, old lying Eddie, famous for not being straight in press conferences. I mean, the next four for Newcastle are basically akin to Spurs's, looking very, very nice indeed. Brentford at home, uh, game week 12, flailing Brentford, bobble popped Brentford at home in game week 12, Arsenal away in game week 13, and Norwich and Burnley, 14 and 15, both at St James's. Obviously the key men are clear Um, but there is one uh, key man I think out there Callum Wilson Um, and there is a lot of interest in the FPL community so FPL commanders asked if he should sell Antonio who's been bought bought in bro uh, for Wilson and FPL fledging asks if getting Wilson in straight away is worth it the great run of games to come under Eddie Howe. I mean any interest in Callum Wilson Nick 2.3 2.4% owned like Real differential kind of territory.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do like Callum Wilson as a footballer. I think he's he's a very talented footballer. I just don't think he plays with um, plays for a team that's particularly talented in themselves and, and creates a lot of chances. And, and I particularly think that uh, selling Antonio for, for Callum Wilson isn't isn't a good idea. Um, even though Antonio, as I was mocking him in Market Forces, for only scoring one goal in in five games you know, West Ham have just been on an absolute dynamite run of form, haven't they? And he was, you know, he was unlucky to to, consider, to not score or assist at all in the, in the 3-2 game against uh, Liverpool. And obviously the 4-1 against Aston Villa as well, he didn't get anything at all. So I think he's been particularly unfortunate that he just hasn't been on the end of those particular chances, but West Ham are a free scoring team um, and looking excellent. Newcastle currently are not a free scoring team as, as I said, between Antonio, Wilson, both very talented footballers. But in terms of the clubs they play for, I just just wouldn't sell Antonio. I think Antonio is going to get a lot more chances per game than Wilson. And that is actually illustrated in in the stats as well. I know we said we weren't going to talk too many stats, but Antonio's had sort of a chance every 24.9 minutes this season, whilst Wilson's had a chance every 39.4. So, you know, one and a half times... So you know he's 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 a good finisher. He's an elite finisher. Ultimately, if, if we're going to use that word for sort of Premier League forwards, but um, yeah, I, I think you know he's a as you said he's differential. Um, very very low ownership fixtures look pretty damn decent. There's Norwich at home, Burnley at home, particularly tasty. So you know you could go for him, and I think he is the best pick if you do fancy going for the new manager bounce. He he knows Eddie Howe very well, obviously, and has performed excellently for him in the past at Bournemouth. So they've got a strong relationship there. So there's, there's not going to be any sort of teething issues in terms of bonding with the manager or any of that crap. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think he's an option, but I just wouldn't sell Antonio necessarily. I think it seems a bit
1: rash. Yeah, no, I wouldn't go there. But I mean, there's definitely a case for buying Wilson and the revitalization potentially that could occur under how uh, three out of four. Of, of of the next games or home games and Newcastle need their talisman simply put under how he was the fifth highest scoring forward in 1819 168 points uh, that year he started just 6.0 that year and uh, his day's profile was kane-esque back then decent xg and xa and a really good link up with ryan fraser the goal wilson assist fraser was absolutely everywhere wasn't it you kind of got, got used to seeing that all the time but newcastle kind of Reflecting what you said, Nick, have been bad, like really bad. Second bottom for expected goals. So Howe has a lot to work on, especially if he's forced to look at that attack as well as that defence, which has been leaking goals like nobody's business. It's all about talisman theory, really, with Wilson, but I still feel like 7.3 was a bit much for him even though as I said earlier with Kane I don't think money matters that much anymore he still feels like a 6.5 million player at the moment who's overpriced by 0.8 as our friend James Crottle said many times um I-, I can see the appeal and with those three games you know the must win sort of element of it um but I mean it depends how good how is 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 how going to be a miracle worker who's going to make a very kind of flaccid looking uh Newcastle team into a more kind of attacking cohesive unit I just don't know um and I'm kind of happy to take my chances with a Conte and Kane over Wilson and Howe, basically um elsewhere Matt Ritchie, Ryan Fraser, the Bournemouth band back together. And um, uh, I read in the Athletic this week that Fraser and Howe had a coffee um, on the south coast and sourced everything out after Ryan Fraser refused to play for him during the lockdown um, and didn't appear again for them in Project Restart. Um I mean, are there any other kind of place of interest here? I mean, how teams concede 60 plus goals a season basically, which means a defender is a clear no-go. It seems to be all about the talisman in Newcastle, and that's kind of no new news. St Maximan, Nick, has he kind of entered your thoughts, or at least kind of entered your notes of this podcast?
0: Yeah, I do like St Maximan. I'm still kind of a bit uh, pissed off, to be honest, about his uh, switch to a, a forward and and getting the price hike over the over the summer. Because I think if he was um sort of a five point five million midfielder, he oh, he'd, he'd be actually look like a, he'd look is... like a really tasty option. But if, yeah. if he was
1: six, like he solved so many problems, like five point five to six. I think there'll be so many people just going, yeah, yeah, I'll have a piece of that. Oh, so annoying! You're right. I'm annoyed now because you've just said that. I can imagine the, the burning hatred within you at this point. <laughs> smile like you mean it and continue on, Nick.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, he's, he's done all right so far, hasn't he? A um, couple of goals, a few assists. Um, and, you know, he's actually a really, really good player as well. Um, very, very talented footballer. Just uh, just a bit, you know, £6.8 million again, for a forward. Um, like like Wilson, he's quite a little bit expensive. Well, not expensive, expensive, but I just think there are better picks out there than him right now.
1: Yeah, fair play. I mean, he's pretty good for like a a third striker if you're in a three four three. Um, but I I do feel like with Newcastle, it's Wilson. Either that, or you kind of watch and wait. And there's definitely like a you know an occasion to just say, you know what, leave Brentford, leave Arsenal, and then fourteen, fifteen, if things really picked up. Grab Wilson for those two home games, Norwich and Burnley, if the kind of vacancy up front arises. Right. Um. Let's move on to Villa quickly yeah Stephen Gerrard installed not very long ago uh, very exciting player when you were young Nick Um, but can it be double exciting at Villa so yeah. I mean the second bottom for chief from open play and they've never really recovered from losing great Grealish I mean the opening fits as well under Gerrard Brighton at home Palace away Man City at home and Leicester at home yes they've got three out of four fits at Villa Park um, but there's definitely a case that you could watch and wait um, for those fixtures. It'd be interesting to see, kind of obviously, what happens uh, with Villa um, under Gerard's stewardship. And their players as well. I think that actually, funnily enough, the key one that stands out to me from hearing from Villa fans like Andrew Deal, uh, a friend of the pod, you can find him on Twitter, at The Real Deal, um, tells us, for example, that uh, Gerrard really likes attacking fullbacks. backs uh, So Matty Cash uh, could be one who's of interest, and that's basically using um, James Tavernier um, as an example. So yes, yes, different league, uh, but he was contributing on average a goal or assist every game uh, last season um last season 12 goals nine assists um so one who is of vague interest emmy uh, buendia and Ligon bailey perhaps I remember at the start of the season when everybody owned buendia or i owned english actually uh, yeah that's interesting and you said earlier on that ben uh benny was a friend of yours well emmy was a friend of mine at the start of uh, start of this season at uh, 15 goals 15 assists losses in the championship and Ligon bailey okay at Leverkusen, never gotten into Kind of double figures ever in terms of goals or assists, um, but he had kind of eleven-ish average expected goal involvements per season at, um, at Leverkusen. And also, you have got your Watkinses, your Ingses. Watkins a serial woodwork botherer, um, and Ings is just clinical. Um, he has had a few good appearances in the Villa shirt already. Any interest in these guys, Nick? I think the the, the kind of the current fixture the run isn't that great, as I kind of mentioned earlier on in terms of the next four. So it really does lend itself, doesn't it, to so kind of watch and wait. And people are selling Ings, for example, en masse.
0: Yeah, I feel like this Villa sort of just died a death over the past three or four game weeks. So um, I'm hoping that they do get a little bit of a new manager bounce just to make them a little, more, a little bit more interesting to watch. And it's just interesting as well to see how Gerard's sort of Operates with the sort of talented players he's got because I think Ollie Watkins was excellent last season, ultimately. Um, I know not everyone thought so, but i you know, last season he got 14 goals, nine assists, and that's that's pretty damn decent output for your first season in the Premier League. And, and ever since the signing of Daddy Ings, I just don't think it's gelled quite well. So, and obviously, they've also brought in Liam Bailey, Emmy um, Wendia, so they've, you've got three new, very, very good attacking players. But, you, you know, Dean Smith never managed to get them all playing, attacking free-flowing football. And obviously they lost Jack Redish as well, which would have had an impact in terms of losing their best creative player. So um, a lot of work there for Steven Gerrard and, and we'll see how he gets on. I think, as you said, watch and wait for now. Um, you know, they've got Manchester City, Leicester, a couple of tough, tough games. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how he gets on. As you said, the defence might come in. To interest as well, um, kept a lot of clean sheets last season, as we know from, from Martinez's uh, performance. 186 yeah. points he got at the end of last season, which is a phenomenal return for, for a goalkeeper. So, um, you know, the likes of Cash, if they can um, tidy up at the back a little bit um, and uh, Cash gets forward, gets those assists and goals, he could up be, be an option. And same with the left side as well, if someone like Ashley Young, for instance, nails down that full-back slot ahead of um, Matty Target, then he could be an option
1: as well. Eighty-four point seven, probably a bit old now. They 30, 36. He is, he is quite old. Yeah. A bit young is old, unfortunately. Um, but I, I mean, I think you know the, the one to watch. Obviously, are game week sixteen, Liverpool away. That'll be, be just one of those. Where you're just like, well, okay, keep an eye on it. Can Gerard go and upset the apple cart at his old stomping ground? But I mean, feasibly between game week seventeen, where they have Norwich away, all the way until kind of game week. F- Thirty, thirty-one. Um, there's a decent enough run for Villa. Um, they face Norwich away. They've only played. They only face uh, Chelsea at home in game week tw- nineteen, which is the Boxing Day, and Man United on the fifteenth of January of the top four teams. Kind of that whole kind of period. So this kind of early sort of time frame from now until kind of game week sixteen, that Liverpool game is a nice sort of watch and wait to see how it all progresses uh, for Gerard. But yeah, I, I, I just don't think this worth. Um, going in there with villa in time soon unless you're a big fan in which case obviously go for it and yeah dean smith popping up again um the final finally to talk about is norwich uh the next four fixtures actually are not bad at all i mean i miss is norwich they southampton wolves newcastle and spurs um two home two away the first two home uh, the second two away i mean is there anything to talk about here if people are interested in for reasons unknown Nick I mean you've got pooky 11 goals in uh, 1920 no goals scored after January though after starting with a bang including that kind of memorable hatchery versus Newcastle cousin Todd you know that that year 4.5 you know my relative Todd Campwell really smashed it didn't he? at that price Milo Rashica a decent record in Germany six goals and five assists kind of thing five point between five and 5.5 5 could be of fitting things in there i mean norwich have been dreadful haven't they i mean bottom for expected goals by some distance and smith's got a lot of work in his hands
0: yeah i don't think we're going to be rushing to get those norwich assets in i think obviously if, if you're going to pick anyone out a hat it may be pookie it's sort of 5.8 million with the reasonable fixture run as well the next few aren't too bad but you know, I wouldn't be, you know, rushing to, off the back of the new manager, ba- her balance is kind of Dean Smith's a not particularly exciting appointment. I was half expecting Sam's, Sam Allardyce to come in, you know, bring back Sam's town. But yeah, no, I don't think there's anyone there. Todd Cantwell, as you said, 5.3 million, apparently he's red flags due to lack of match fitness, which seems a bit of an odd one. Surely that's self-perpetuating, but <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, Pookie. I guess.
1: No one else. Let's kind of wrap it up there. Yeah, I I, I think there's obviously the only one that I could even vaguely make a case for is Matthias Norman at 4.5. I mean, 4.5 loves a shot. 15 this season. Zero in the box. Proper Ruben Neves kind of character. Let's bring it to a close, shall we? new manager bounces what do we make of new manager bounces in fpl well i think we're favoring in terms of the actual specifics spurs and newcastle assets wilson more and um, i still think individuals will profit the most and um, there will be somebody we haven't mentioned a lucas mora or a deli alley someone like that maybe even a stephen bergwine who absolutely smashes it from left field um, but I guess overall, when it comes to this, I'm just hoping the template is disturbed and we'll find a couple of players to really push things on, create those bandwagons that we sorely need in fantasy football. What do you make of new manager bounces in FPL?
0: Yeah, I certainly think it has a little bit of a change. And I think you can sort of throw it on its head a little bit as well and, and think about um, you know, the teams and who they're playing. For instance, last week we targeted Aston Villa. Um, for Southampton so a lot of people like myself um, played Livermento thinking Aston Villa at home, Aston Villa dreadful right now if Gerrard was in early maybe I wouldn't be as um, cocksure about that kind of move for instance as well Um, and same with you know obviously Spurs being less of an easy target perhaps now that they're under Conte or even you know like Newcastle those actually I think probably under Eddie Howe they're probably going to concede even more than they did under Steve Bruce so you have to weigh it up Um, to a certain degree but I think certainly it, it, as you said it shifts the template it, it, it's a good thing as far as we're concerned to see a little bit of change a little bit of excitement something there certainly as a Spurs fan I'm, I'm excited right now about Conte and, and what he can bring uh, compared to how bloody awful Nunu was so yeah um, I think that pretty much sums it up for me
1: yeah, exactly. We'll get into the current template and how it's shifting in just a moment in the questions. Uh, but for now, let's take a break and I'm back for you in just a minute. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's uh, it's time
0: to uh, crack on with the uh, correspondence and questions section.
1: So yeah, Tom, it's tough. Um, who's the question from today? Yep. Yeah, so the correspondence section in uh, Anthony's absence. Uh, is our section where you can write in to us to ask us anything. Uh, If you want us to expand on something that we spoke about in the last pod, or, you know, disagree with something we said, you want us to discuss it further. You've got a question, you know, you really want us answering in depth. You've got a song, you've got a poem, you've got a declaration of love. Write it in. We're going to be here taking it and putting it in this particular section. This week, uh, a good friend of... uh, The pod, and also an an ex Kegs alumni, uh, Nick and I's old school, uh, Jono Forward uh, wrote in. uh, He said to us, well, you know, it's not been going particularly well for Jono, unfortunately. He says, evening both. I'm having a terrible season. All your talk of a 600k to 800k rank. He was, I think it was two weeks ago, sitting at 1.7 million. He said he turned to Connor Gallagher as somebody who's potentially able to save his season. Um, he says he thinks he will be this year's Mares or Ramsey, i.e. a criminally underpriced figure, one people who will ignore with the theory that he can't possibly keep this up before finally admitting defeat and buying him later on down the line when he scored loads more points. Do you think he is going to fill that FPL role, John O asks, of Gallagher? Um, and how can we spot potential Mareses Ramsey's in the future? Love the pod, he says. Thanks. O. there's also some listener questions here just to pollute the corresponding section, which is normally sort of you know, pristine, uh, but there are so, so many, and it's all around that kind of mid price, mid sort of area, uh, FPL banger, um, asked if we let prices cloud our thinking. He highlights that Gallagher is the second highest scoring mid in FPL, but buying him for those people doesn't seem like a priority. FPL Neil asked for a discussion of the mid-price mids, uh, mentioning Gallagher, Bumbuemo, uh, Jota, Saka, ESR, and so on and so forth. Uh, MJ, our friend Manil, um, asks if you keep Bumbuemo for Newcastle, and Tony too, actually. And Andy Penman asks if uh, Jota is no-brainer. I mean, it's a unique situation at the moment, isn't it, Nick? With so many of these players milling about, we said last week that bandwagons were so important because of how things were progressing this year with players so specifically bunched up behind a rampant Mo Salah. Only six players have scored more than 60 points, uh, with Salah obviously in the triple digit mark at the moment Uh, Cancello, Trent, James, Gallagher, Antonio, and Vardy. Um, are the only players who have scored more than sixty points, and that is still you know leagues behind Mo Salah. What do you think about kind of uh, Jono's question uh, initially about Gallagher?
0: Yeah, I think he's um, he's certainly an option, but I, I do wonder like how much of a season saver he's going to be just because of all the people that are now buying in Gallagher on, on in their droves. So he's he's not going to be too much of a differential. Any longer, as I said, he's top of the market forces right now. I know his correspondence was a couple of weeks old, as you said, Tom. So maybe you know, if we'd answered before the Manchester City game and said get him in, and and Johnny would have got that golden assist, and he might be a bit happier, perhaps. But um, right now, since then, at least, you know, he's got a golden assist against City and a goal against Wolves, and and moved right up to the being the second highest scoring midfielder in the game. So he, he is a great pick. I'm. As I said, I'm actually thinking about bringing him in this game week just because Palace's fixtures as well really starting to brighten up with little Burnley Villa the lead. So gen- generally, actually, all the way um, up until Christmas, they've got a really, really nice run of fixtures. So you, you could keep him for the next 10 or so game weeks and hope he just continues to, to trickle along with the points. Um, yeah. So, yeah, in terms of an FPL pick, I think he's a great one around that price. I think um, it's always hard to, to kind of spot those future Mareses, future Ramses. There's always kind of a kind of chat that emerges out of nowhere around the 5.5 million price. We actually used to do, I remember we used to do the, the sort of 5.5 million mids analysis back in the day, didn't we? When, when we were younger, um, <laughs> you know, and trying to look at those um, players around that price point that we think are going to be the next um, Mares, or, you know, Josh King, Ryan Fraser was one that actually emerged that season as a great pick um, Back in this sort of Bournemouth days. But um and also checked last season as well. I think we all kind of called him out at the beginning of the season when we saw his price at five million, we're like incredible, and jumped on him. But certainly this season it's been about Connor, but it's also been about um Smith Rowe, yeah. also started off the season five point five million, both um both had their England debuts. So Know both emerging talents, and I think it's all about trying to find that next emerging talent and then try and get on that wagon as quickly as possible. Easier said than done, but there's always kind of this sort of Mason Greenwood type character. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this is close to my heart because I'm setting Gray, who's another one that was 5.5 at the start of the season, started off really, really well. Um, I didn't get any of those returns, by the way, but he got three goals in the first four games. Um, and then since I got him in, he's done jack, he's got me, I think, two assists or something. Um, and I'm looking at um Gallagher but I could also look at Smith Rowe as a another option I know you've got more in- way though but I think I've, I think I've missed out on the <laughs> on the Brentwood uh <laughs> well I'm not missed out because he's not got any points but um I think I'm not going to bother with the double up especially because of no, Ivan no. Tony um and the fixtures are, are- start stiffening soon as well
1: but. yeah it's definitely it's definitely game over for, uh, for Um I think uh, yeah just, just to bring it back to Gallagher for a moment I mean he's been a bench hero for so many I mean our friend uh, Death Star FPL has had him off the bench for both those double thick holes hasn't he recently uh, much to our chagrin in the min league that we're in Um but it's a really interesting idea, this sort of price quality heuristic, which is what is alluding to about his price. That idea being that we'd always assume that price is something which is a shortcut to indicate quality. In fact, that could often be a little bit misleading, um, the idea that price equals quality. And you think of things like when you buy an own brand product versus a branded one, often there's very little difference between paying for a supermarket brand thing versus kind of a branded thing you're paying for the name and Gallagher. You know, the ownership is now rising steadily is fifteen point three percent um alluding to what you said Nick about perhaps you know the last couple of weeks things have changed a little bit um so it kind of, it's pretty warranted to think about him as a bit of kind of a, a a bit of a bandwagon who may sustain the season thus far he's got a similar goal involvement to the likes of Trent and Rafinha um But unfashionable little Palace who he plays for can mean that his impact is slightly obscured. It's worth noting that when Millie Millie (laughs) has played for Palace, his role seems to change a little bit. And the reintroduction of Ezi to the team um, soon can mean that his role may change still further. But nonetheless, spoiler, I find myself with Gallagher now. Um, after swapping him in uh, for Benny um, a few days ago, it like he was going to rise in price. I mean, I looked at his data, um, his underlying data is really, really good. I uh, rewatched match of the day um, last game he played and he was very, very good actually um, against City too. And I thought it was worth kind of, um, you know, trying to catch that rise, uh, when I could effectively, um, he's it, what I need and it's time, but the river is wild really around that kind of 7.5 million mark. I've still got Kai Havertz to sell for another under 7.5 million player. And what's really nice is how those players are now mostly sitting in the differential to ultra differential category. Um, Andy Pema mentioned Jota. Jota is fourth um, for expected non penalty goal involvement this season. And it seems a no brainer if you've got 7.5 million to spend to get him in, especially with Firmino out and Mane potentially having a knock international break, but yeah, I'm still a bit skeptical about him. I don't know what it is. I think it's that qualitatively, he's a very frustrating player to watch so many misses, it's so many sort of Jota must score moments which never comes to fruition, basically. But quantitatively, I 100% get the appeal looking at the numbers, and I can see why analytics FC need to change their boxer shorts every time they watch him play. And he's got a very, very good record against Arsenal as well. Seven goals in just four appearances. So he's one that if you probably know, I'm probably in this position, I'm definitely in this position as well. You should probably be the one you get. And ESR, you mentioned, Nick, an XG of 1.9, four goals scored. (laughs) An XGI of uh, 3.1, six goal involvements, four goals and two assists you mentioned. Is that sustainable? Is it a bandwagon I've missed from an Arsenal point of view? I hope I haven't. From an NFL point of view, I hope I have. And, and the other side of the coin actually is Saka at 6.3, one goal and two assists from a very, very similar XGI of 3.2, uh, Smith Rose is 3.1. I've sung Saka's praises before. and It's really interesting to see kind of how fortunes can diverge. And if you do convert, what can kind of happen there? Um, I just want to throw another couple of names in here, actually. Uh, one is from city. He's not Foden doesn't look a thing like jesus instead he's Bernardo Silva. i know he did a goal against united that's not really what's kind of prompted me here instead it's just been how generally excellent he's been this season is pep's kind of meritocracy in action Um he costs you 7.1 and he's the highest scoring man City mid actually at the moment why expected minutes basically i mean he's playing a lot this year i mean he was hashtag leaving in the summer as james richardson put it on the on the uh total football podcast and um, but I mean, he's played his way back into that City team and he's playing the role, actually, we want to see of a City player. City are very good going forward. That's an use to no one. Um, And you aren't going to be captioning him of course. Um, But if you throw in someone who's got guaranteed minutes and the capacity to kind of score well week after week with City's creative kind of juices flowing then I don't really see that as being a particularly bad thing. I mean, he's got 49 points, 9 points behind Son, basically, which is you know, given the 3.2 million price difference, that's pretty decent. And it's all action, surely with consideration. The other one that I am considering. Is Leandro Trossard, 6.5 million. He's actually out of position at the moment. He's up front. I did look at Maxwell Cornet as well. Um, But Hindu Monkey this week pointed out that his conversion is 50% at the moment from a meager number of uh, chances. And Burnley are not doing very well in terms of expected goals. Um, So I think he's probably a bit one to watch and wait on. Uh, But Trossard himself up front, good fixtures for Brighton and great underlying numbers in terms of the analog stats he's top for pen box touches and top for shots on target amongst midfielders who cost less less than 7.5 so you know, i'm looking for kind of these sort of players at the moment and um, i need a 7.5 million midfielder to replace um kai to uh, afford Vardy to Kane, and it's between uh, Jota, who seems the obvious pick, Bernardo, who seems a bit left field, and Trossard, who seems to be left field. I really love that kind of idea of having an ultra differential uh, for my FPL team, just because, you know, I'm not at the rank that I want to be, and having a player who is kind of two, two to three to you know, under 10% owned, it will be a very, very good thing. In time, I think I'll be looking at Jared Bowen as well. Uh, he's sipped for non-penXGI this season amongst all players in the Premier League. Um, but at the moment, he obviously is, is, is not really worth mentioning because the West Ham fish aren't that great. But to answer John's question, I think bandwagons are always going to be super important. They're going to be the ones, um, as he alluded to in his initial question, about a player who can save the season, like Mares, like Ramsey. If you can get on them early, especially in a context where things are very bunched up, getting a player like that, getting them on them early, is a very, very good idea. And Gallagher is as good a punt as any basically in that category the great thing is that the price bracket is relatively fluid so you can jump between them all as needed um so yeah it would be very interesting to do that and as Nick said earlier on trying to spot those players um early is obviously a massive boon but the fact they're all kind of similarly priced is a positive kind of outcome anyway it means that if a player does start to pull away then you can kind of jump on them getting on them a bit earlier maybe as a case just kind of eye test stats usual sort of get up O wrote in to who got the assist at gmail.com and if you want to be featured in the correspondence as part of uh, you know these sort of questions please write in there who got the assist at gmail.com and normally anthony would be very very pleased uh, to answer and receive your emails it's just in this case i've got to step in for him although my irish lilt is lacking i'm not going to do that because that's very offensive right let's move on to the listener questions Big at the back, V94, it's happened again, Nick, it's happened again. Big at the back, is it five at the back o'clock? So Snake FPL asks, when the attacking heavy hitters are going to arrive? Um, as five at the back looks a justifiable strategy right now, given how the defence are doing. Martin H asks, if you had to pick a zombie defence, who would they be? Um, FPL Tickle asks, if 5-3-2 your formation, Nick, is viable over Christmas because defenders just get rotated less. Uh, Manic Stoic asks a similar question. You know, should we go for defensive expensive defence and perhaps a shoe Good use of a shoe, uh, expensive players altogether. together and Dave CZ FPL asks, what do we think is the optimal formation over the Christmas period? Should it perhaps be five, three, two. So you've spoken about this more than you think about probably anything else on this podcast uh, over your career on WGCA Nick, I mean, five at the back this season, do you think it's time or bigger, the back this season in general, do you think of it, it's, it's got some legs or is it one of those things is kind of a bit of a fad.
0: No, I think it's hundred um, percent got some legs. I think certainly we see these things going going phases. Ultimately, when we first started the pods, defenders weren't really a thing in terms of targeting them, and. You know, that particular season we we started seeing, you know, the Liverpool defenders, the Chelsea City defenders come into their fruition, and then in the last couple of years it kind of died the death to a certain extent. But I think it was well and truly back. And you you saw it this this particular game week with my team. I I did take a little bit of a gamble in terms of going five at the back and it and it paid off. And I think just targeting defenders and points there's quite a decent shadow play, actually, ultimately, because you can pick up and accrue some serious points in your FPL team without anyone really noticing them and sort of just build building from the back forward. And especially this season, we've got most Salah obviously, but there aren't really any premiums that are kind of striking gold week in, week out that we really want in our teams. We've got Salo and then after that, you know, I think perhaps my second highest um, sort of points player is probably like Rafinha or somewhere who's six point five million cheaper than Salah. So I've got all that money to to play apart from Kane obviously now, but I've got all that money to to play around with to kind of target you know getting in Cancelo or Trent Alexander-Arnold and I think um, obviously with James and Chilwell as well you've, you've got four really really strong scoring defenders that are just bringing in the points week in week out and and you know obviously as we said Salah's got 117 points but after that it's, um, it's kind of like uh, Cancelo in terms of the second highest scoring player in the game so And then it's Trent, and then it's Reese. So you've got sort of out of the four top highest scoring players in the game right now, three of them are defenders um, this particular game week. So that's uh, that's pretty incredible. It's definitely showing where the where the points are accruing and and where where the best uh, where the best assets are. And I think as well, um, Livramento kind of works as a really good cheap fifth defender as well that you can play um, week in week out. I know sort of going back to sort of what you talked earlier a little bit earlier about value and. Oh, you know, not bringing in and playing players because you, you kind of see them as cheap assets and so they're just bench options. I think Livermento's proved that, you know, you can get points at any price in the game. It doesn't matter what the player's priced at, at the start of the game. You can you shouldn't just uh, bench Livermento because he's only four million and just over the last few game weeks he's been absolutely bossing it as well. So I think you can you can justify five premium defenders, but you can also justify Four premium defenders and a Mentor and, and play five at the back, which is which is what I've been doing. So um, yeah. So if I think about Martin's question as well, the an, um, FPO antique. So I probably just, ironically, I probably just stick with the um, the five I've got, except swapping Ben White for Reese James, and I think that would be the, the perfect defence, just to set and forget. And captain Mo Salah and then just say right that's it I'm done for FPL let's we'll
1: see what happens at the end of the season <laughs> zombie it zombie I mean it reminds me actually this whole thing reminds me of the Ram remember that a while back with Robertson Alonso, and Mendy remember that sort of fervor for those three and they did really well for about kind of you know, five or six game weeks I mean for now it's the Jack attack in full swim the Jack being uh, James Alex Arnold and Cancello and also the Jackal uh, if you add in Chilwell and Livrebencho uh, to that uh, to that mixture. I mean, people are getting in a bit of a tizzy about it and thinking I've got to, got to be down because I want them all. And the questions that we've been asked truly reflect that sort of big at the back theme. I think, as you said, there's definitely kind of a sense of, you know, a value about those players. It's indisputable. And we, see, we used to see every year, didn't we, that like goalkeepers are the most valuable assets in FPL, purely down to the X mins plus having those clean sheets take that to defenders um the wing backs obviously provide that sort of dual threat of attacking points, especially in the case of a player like the amazing form Reese James is in, we'll speak about him in just a minute. Um, And Alexander Arnold being the obvious option from the, from the past and for the present as well, those kind of attacking returns versus the defensive ones as well, having them both together is just, you know, it's it's a bit of a cheat code. as I said in the uh, FPL video this week, Um, but I think what's really important as well to just mention is the centre backs. Because, I mean, they don't get that much love a lot of the time. Um, But in times of real sort of strife, the centre-backs are the ones that often come through for you. I mean, we've got a greater sense of predictability about their expected minutes. I know that week after week, unless you get kind of that fabled 15 pointer that I was chasing for many years of Harry Maguire, I was hoping for him to get that 15 pointer. I owned him on three separate occasions, hoping he'd get that goal you know, with that massive head of his and get the clean sheet, get the 15 points from it never really happens. But a steady stream of six points can be very, very beneficial, especially if you have the boom and bust of those Chelsea defenders or even the Man City kind of uh, uh defenders as well, the wing backs that is uh coming in and out of the team. And the likes of Ruben Diaz, the likes of Virgil van Dijk could be really important actually, um, over the next kind of few weeks and especially in terms of the questions about the Christmas period, only one of them could be low key, a fantastic differential. You could even go back to the goalkeeper um and have an Edison or something like that in the goal. Um but I, I think those um, overall, I think mean, the defence is obviously a fantastic sort of uh, source of points, as Nick said, a bit of a low-key source of points, although it's getting more and more kind of now, five years later, in in the meta to speak about defenders as kind of transferable assets, that whole sort of idea of them being a unit you don't really mess with is all over now. Um, but I think we should give a bit more sort of uh respect to the center backs as well i think there'll be definitely a lot more kind of featuring in our teams as we go forward um sticking with the defenders actually uh, the chelsea shuffle um also um, may be impacting a few of you out there so dash asked if he's actually missed the chelsea fullback bus or if it's worth considering bringing one of them in still and Anav uh, she asks um if it's worth the side swap um considering uh uh, they went with uh, centre backs, uh, Rudiger, I guess, uh, for the X Mins in terms of Chelsea. I mean, I'd be worried about not owning one, Nick. I mean, what do you think about whether it's worth jumping on a Chelsea uh, wing back still?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely would still target them. I don't think it's too late. I think ultimately, you know, obviously you've missed out on some points already, but. Um, and they had a great fixture run, but even, even when they had tougher fixtures at the start of the season, for instance, in the first six games they played Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal and Spurs, over that sort of period they only conceded two goals in total, so they picked up four clean sheets and just conceded two goals and um, as I said the fixtures don't mean too much in in that respect so I think there's still going to be plenty of clean sheets coming for Chelsea and and even in the games where they missed out on the clean sheets the likes of Rhys James that's Ben Chilwell will come up with attacking returns for instance James picked up a a cheeky assist against Burnley still got seven points with a couple of extra bonus I think if you go without a Chelsea defender you're just going to Damage yourself week in, week out because everyone owns one, at least one by now. Um, so it, it's going to continue to punish you, I think. So I think even if, if you don't own one right now or you pick the wrong one, like Alonso or the I think it's probably fine to bite the bullet and, um, and get one of James or Chilwell or, or even Rudiger. Rudiger seems to be the most nailed of all the defenders as well. So I think, as you mentioned, the centre backs and you mentioned Diaz and Van Dyke, Rudiger's the other one that's sort of currently the fourth highest scoring defender in the chasing party of those centre backs and as we hit the Christmas period we're down we're probably bouncy some more two controlling aren't we? Um yeah. we'll see Alonso and uh Chalabar or someone play um right wing back and uh have a bit of rotation. Um but yeah Rudig's probably gonna be the most nailed of them all oh the whole uh, fixture congestion I think personally.
1: i just worry if Rudy at you might be losing touch just because that contract situation appears to be a bit up in the air. Um, but in general, I think you're right. And, you know, with, with Chelsea, yeah, obviously we've got Leicester and United next. But actually, until the end of this calendar year, they they play Liverpool and Man City uh, early in January. And they only play United um, of the top four last season. So all of the fixtures to come are all very, very nice. It's just a a short tombola, um, which could be a bit of a problem. I mean, I'd be worried not owning one of the the wingbacks that's for sure there's those midweek games coming up i guess which places the emphasis on those expected minutes so as nick said maybe rudiger could be of interest and um, i think of the two i am reese james so i would say this but it's really interesting to see lots of people sizing his record thus far on the social and him being like the kind of you know rotated a lot uh, it was a bit like kind of like crutching on the past a bit that I mean, I think that maybe Reese James has turned the corner. If you look at kind of the performances that he's put in when he's been starting, I think he's now an integral part of the attacking approach that Chelsea take. Whereas last year, it was still all being figured out by Tuchel. Maybe it kind of links back to our theme, but the new you manager bounce, so on and so forth. He's certainly fit enough to continue starting. And I just think that, you know, perhaps he is a vital weapon in how Tushel has been setting up the way in which, you know, Pachua has been speaking in the media about how they're both attacking the box, uh, both really taking part in the forward play. And I think it'd be really interesting to kind of see how well James could go. And maybe he could be kind of, you know, linking into the correspondence question. One of those kind of players who... It's a bit of a bandwagon and could this year prove to be a really high scoring player simply because I'm not sure whether kind of an aging Espiriqueta. I mean, we have one or two games where that's going to happen, but an aging Espiriqueta is the only real sort of contender to that spot for Rhys James. Um, And Rhys James is an incredibly fit and versatile player. I think it would be really interesting to see how well he'll do this year. So, uh, him uh, over Chilwell for me, simply, um, but I definitely don't think you're too late on the full-backs uh, in terms of Chelsea. The wing-backs, I should say, in terms of Chelsea, Dash, uh, I think he's definitely worth um, in terms of Aynab's question, moving uh, on uh, to a Chelsea wing-back if you can, just because it feels like uh, they're going to be the ones who are going to be generating those points um, over the the centre-backs, although, you know, if you do have a second Chelsea player they should be the centre back right next question wildcard slash general setup so FPL elf uh, his question this week was um, I'm a wild card so if you're creating a team for November and December where would your priorities lie and Michael Lowe um, on this sort of note asks if taking hits to sort the benches out going forward works as an idea I think it's really interesting, actually, how we look at the November and December period, because I think the key is those Manchester clubs get to United and get to whoever has nailed at City over that period. United, as everybody seems to know at this point, have a great run of it since next year. I suspect many from game, which is not almost, will have Ronaldo, whichever mid comes through, you know, like a Greenwood or you know, Rashford perhaps, and hope that somebody like Shaw sure, shows up at the back. We're not getting Maguire, are we? Come on, seriously. I mean, hand, uh, cup your hands to your ear, but it's not going to happen. Um, but city-wise, things are really interesting. I think it's understated how good their run is from now, arguably perhaps, but I've not seen it spoken about anywhere so maybe it's apparent to nobody's eyes but mine. last season they went on a 19 game unbeaten run from november to march in which they also kept 13 clean sheets and that won them the league last year city are now on a run to the end of february where they only play chelsea of last season's uh, top four um until they run into united in early march so i'd be seriously keeping the door open mm-hmm. to double city defense at least because a diaz character we spoke about a second ago is going to be nailed in there and i think that they're going to start churning out kind of these results so think one nil two nil something like that obviously having a phone or something is a nice idea but i mean like everybody's obviously set up with double chelsea etc but could it be worth kind of taking a look at kind of veering away from that and veering into having a double city um i think game week 18 9 onwards west ham get good fixtures for example so worth being able to kind of flex around those kind of things but in general flexibility is key identifying kind of teams who have a good fixture around where you're kind of thinking right you lots in my team as you mentioned earlier on a few chelsea assets like reese james like ben Chilwell, I'll probably fit that sort of mold And I think we said last week on the pod that the story of the season has yet to be written, so don't cul-de-sac yourself. Um, But having that kind of mixture, as we always say, on your wild card of long-term picks, identifying them, trying to get tomorrow's template today is the way to go. What do you think here, Nick?
0: Yeah, I broadly agree with everything you covered there, Tom. I think Manchester City, as you highlighted, has some excellent fixtures. I'm I'm just wondering if you are wildcarding now, if you've got an issue like Sanchez in goal, perhaps you could even consider someone like Mendy or Edison in goal. And especially if we do have a little bit of extra cash lying around with fewer premium options, you could be saying, right, I'm I'm targeting all these clean sheets um, over the course of the next sort of 20 game weeks you know i I can see manchester city keeping 13 clean sheets why why not say right i'm gonna go for the the Diaz edison double up in in the defense and just just, as i said play that sort of shadow play type game and just pick up and accrue all, all those clean sheet points just subtly ultimately at the back i think in terms of sort of you know hits and, and sorting the bench out I think I think squad depth is, is very important I think you can be clever with the way you play those hits For instance, I, I did have a few issues in my team and I took a minus eight the other week um but it involved sort of upgrading Suzoko, who was sort of like a fifth midfielder who was a bit crap um 4.5 million and sort of upgrading him um more to kind of like um sort of Rafinha um sort of getting an extra two million and just getting a player that's actually decent in my team and and all sort of like downgrading someone else. So just kind of a little bit of flexibility and sort of turning, as I said, um Demarai Gray into sort of the fifth midfielder instead. So I think you can be clever in terms of the moves you make, um, you know, as well, sort of the, the forward line as well. For instance, like looking at players like Huang, he's pretty damn cheap. I've still got Dennis lurking around there. But, you know, I think he does okay. I actually benched his points the other week. But um, yeah, he's kind of just sort of sits around, doesn't he, Dennis? Doesn't mind anyone but I think yeah obviously you've talked about some of the premium picks I think in terms of sort of the next 10 or so game weeks I think you know we've we've talked a little bit about Crystal Palace perhaps as a team's target for their fixture run um they've done pretty well so far under Vieira and I think Brighton's still a good option as well um for some of the cheaper assets that they offer as you mentioned Trossard um, but also the Defenders um very cheap options there. Obviously Sanchez though, he's in the bad books right now. Um, And yeah, Brentford are kind of a little bit on the way out. So I'm not necessarily going to recommend their assets, but I think you can look across like West Ham as well as another option um, for just the cheaper picks or the mid-priced picks, so to speak, to to complement... compliment who you have in terms of the Chelsea players the Manchester City players and, and also as you said the Manchester United players maybe in a few weeks time they'll come back in and you you can always get on the likes of Greenwoods um, if he continues to keep his place in the side obviously that's a little bit of a question mark there
1: yeah but bench wise Nick are you one of these players who kind of wants to have like loads of quality or are you like me where you're a bit more efficient so like, my bench is an obvious bench there's no kind of ambiguity about it it is a you know, dennis um cody and another player as well who sits on my bench um it's uh, christensen at the moment and mm-hmm. um, but that could be you know someone like livermento or something going mm-hmm. forward like i see people who have got and obviously the people in our, i mean, league, for example, who bench boosted this week with a ridiculously strong team. I mean, I look at that team and just think, oh my Lord, I, I could not have that team because it was just like just doing my OCD. I could not, I spent all week kind of worrying about leaving bench points on my bench. I mean, what was your kind of view on how you set up for your bench? I, I I want an obvious one with players who play, but players I'm not going to be upset about benching.
0: Well, that's kind of the classical strategy, isn't it? Like we we've, we've played this obviously for many years and typically we kind of have three crap players that we know we're going to bench maybe one will rotate with another player that's in the starting 11 and that's typically how we play the game but I think this especially this season as I said we all seem to have a little bit of extra cash there's not too many premiums catching our eye so we're all spending a little bit more and as I said I kind of upgraded my crap player Sissoko into a, a sort of a 6.5 million player and then it ended up benching sort of Rama, Gray, and Dennis this week so Ben is not an obvious bench pick. Gray, I guess so. Not, not really. He's not an obvious bench pick. And Dennis is is more of an obvious bench pick. But I played, um, I played Ben White and I played Livermento. So I think it's it does create a bit of a benching headache, and no one likes a benching headache, but you know, it does give that flexibility as well of if, if someone's absent for whatever reason doesn't play at all, last-minute injury, manager lied to you or something, or Um, Didn't come off the subs bench. Then you you have that you have a you have a decent enough pick who can uh, come in and and play for you. So I do like having an obvious bench, but when you have a bit more money to play with, then it it does afford you to a little bit more flexibility with that bench to spend a little bit more money. And that's also why I kind of said we've got all this money. Upgrade your goalkeeper if if you're struggling to spend it or struggling to to know what to do with it. That's that's another option. Upgrade the goalkeeper upgrade some of your defenders and and then you know dump on the, the cheap midfielders and cheap forwards and, and just leave them sitting there.
1: Yeah, that's basically the way I look at it. It's pretty peace of mind, isn't it? Having rubbish players actually on the bench. Uh, let's move on to the final question, which is about the captaincy conundrum. Um, so, touching on earlier on, uh, FPL dummy Tom um, asks if Kane or Son is worth the captaincy over Saturday this week, if he bought them and uh, Tam make gauder asks if it's time to diverge from salah um, and go against the ubiquity of having the egyptian king as your captain i mean i'm an algo captain this year as you know nick um but i'd captain ronaldo if i had a free hit team against watford that's the way i would go for it i'm not sure where else looking at the kind of the 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 list maybe Foden, for everton something like that i'm really not sure you know if spurs are quite ready to have the trust that is needed to captain the player from them. And, uh, it's just hope more than anything. If we do go there, I guess, I mean, I'm going to be captaining or whatever. Mikel tells me to do. What do you reckon here, Nick?
0: Yeah, I, I messed with the captain, didn't I? A couple of weeks ago, um, with, uh, Salah against Manchester United. Am I gonna mess around <laughs> again? Hell no. Um, I'm captaining Salah, um, Worth highlighting that I don't I don't think this is a tough fixture at all for, for Liverpool. I think this is you know a perfect fixture for Salah. Um, you know Arsenal um, conceded five against Manchester City earlier in the season. It was Manchester City's bigger biggest win of the season. Salah Salah could he could just easily explode. He exploded against Manchester United because Manchester United decided to attack the game. Arsenal maybe they're feeling a bit more confident right now. They've Had some good performances. Maybe they're going to try and attack the game. Liverpool who knows and if they do try and do that Salah could easily expose them so that's why I'm going with him
1: cool makes sense Right, right let's move on to the transfers and captains on that note um worth just doing quickly I mean uh do you want to talk everyone through your team Nick and uh, let us know what you're doing I mean you, you've, got, you've got Sanchez out Livermento probably I mean IB injury isn't it um any moves made what you can do
0: yeah, um, so I think with Sanchez, I think I'm just going to keep him there. Um, I'm probably just going to do some bench trolling and just have Ben Foster play and see what happens. Probably at one point, uh, obviously Foster got 11 last week. As I mentioned, I'm probably going to sell Damari Gray and just do a straight swap for Connor Gallagher and put him in the team. Um, I haven't really decided who actually is benched off the back of that decision. It, it'll be a tough one. Um, yeah, I don't actually know. <laughs> I have a, have a little think, but I I do really like the Gray Gallagher move, and then I have yeah. a bit of a think in terms of who who uh, gets the bench because it's kind of one of those teams where none of them have, none of the players in the starting eleven have particularly great fixtures, but he's you know they've all got kind of middling fixtures. It's not it's not it doesn't doesn't look particularly exciting. It's not one of those ones where you see all the Norwich at homes and the Burnleys at yeah, homes and you get yeah. excited about the the potential of a hundred plus game week. It's kind of it's kind of Leicester away. Kind of, kind of crappy fixtures that you, most of the players have but um yeah uh, I think I really like the Gray Gallagher move and then I'll you know, maybe bench been I don't yeah, know.
1: maybe Ben Rama yeah maybe Ben Rama all right no I, I've sold Ben Rama actually myself um let's go to Anthony first day um, Anthony says that he didn't want to get caught with IB injuries so he's ignored the price shifts thus far and did nothing um, he's got two free transfers four in the bank and so he thinks he's going to finally get trent and uh, enact his uh premium goalkeeper strategy maybe um, he says he's not really too sure about what he's going to do with that because he's got sanchez and he's got Runerson in goals and neither of his the goalkeeper is going to be showing up uh, classic Anthony uh, 4d chess here he's also says he's looking at getting rid of uh saka he says he's getting plenty of chances the data is there um, but he feels like he's getting a bit of dharma like in terms of what happens. so Anthony's got Sanchez and goal Cancelo, Rudiger and Diplomento at the back um Saka, Son, Salah, Caps, and Rafinha and Antonio, Tony and Jesus up front so yeah um Anthony is doing all right um but he needs to make a few changes because he's got a goalkeeper this week and as for me so I've uh, already done Ben Rama to Gallagher, um, as I said earlier on, I just think that he perhaps is worth riding on for a little bit maybe it'll go wrong maybe it won't and um, but he's at a great price at 5.8 for me and um, that you can kind of just say you know what if it goes well fantastic if it doesn't well you know whatever and um, I've got Kane and Kai Havertz to get rid of um, Vardy to Kane is the way I think I'm going to go I, I've been talking about this for the last kind of two weeks well since the national break started so I think it's going to be the way I will go and um, I think it's gotten to the point where I'm so sunk costy into that thing. if I don't do it I'm going to be a bit pissed off at myself I know that Son and Wilson could be a way that I do go but I really like Kane from the next four so I think that would probably be the, what I will do I just need to find a 7.5 million midfielder for Kai Havertz it's Jota it's Bernardo Silva or it's Trossard for that spot I'm not entirely sure what I'll do yet but I like the idea of if I did go for Trossard or Bernardo Silva I could afford Mbwemo out for Smith Rowe next week so this week uh, Arsenal play Liverpool I'm not interested in Smith Rowe right now next week we play Newcastle am I interested in Smith Rowe then yes I definitely am so that could be interesting but Jota uh, everyone will be screaming at me but just buy Jota you know um, but I just think Eel I'm not sure I'm really not sure yet I mean I've got a great iron goal uh, the Jack at the back <laughs> uh, James Alexander-Arnold and Cancelo. I've got Gallagher. Have it at the moment, but I don't think it will last. Um, Salah, the captaincy, I'm going to go there for the captaincy. Uh, Anthony will do the same, I'm sure. In uh, versus Newcastle, one one last game, and Rafinha, um and Vardy and Antonio from, but Vardy and Kai and go for Kane plus a seven point five million. And I just really hope that all these things that I've done will lead to a Green Arrow at the end of the day. And that's a lot, isn't it? Nick, thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's a a pleasure to be back on the pod. And and thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, We are, of course, who got the assist. Make sure, if you liked what you heard, to give us a five-star review on iTunes. And um, also, uh, give the YouTube a watch as well. And you can see us in the flesh, and you can see Tom's excellent presentation that he's put together.
1: Thank you. Uh, Our lead code is 2 ip free. Tea. And the correspondence as well, it's worth mentioning. If you want to write into that, it is who got the assist at gmail.com. We hope we assisted you. Um, it's probably a good thing we left it for a week. Uh, normally, in the past, Nick, we'd have gone for you know, for just straight after the game week and gone off for two weeks. But it's good to kind of leave it a week because obviously so much has changed, so much has happened. So I think we'll do this going forward. Um, in the meantime, I hope this is Looking forward to FPL coming back next weekend. We'll speak to you after that with Andy. He's a star. Yes, it's Let's Talk FPL, who's coming on uh, to join me and hopefully Anthony next week. Have a good week. We'll speak to you very soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye.